everyone, welcome to Survive This Crit, where we combine our love for horror movies and RPGs to take an adventure into some of the universe's most famous monsters. I'm your final girl, Kylie. And I'm your final guy, Nick. Hello, uh. everybody, and welcome to part three. Today, we are actually interviewing each other. I'm your final girl, Kylie, as mentioned in the intro, and this is, drumroll please, your final guy, Nick. Ka-chow. Ka-chow. <laughs> so for this section, we want to reserve it specifically for interviewing guests. But since this is our first episode, we thought it might be useful to maybe interview each other. Just see, uh, just to give you, our listeners, a bit more background on us. I'm sure you, you got enough in the previous ones. But, you know, it could always be nice to get a little bit more. Just see what's going on currently in our lives. Yeah. I believe the title for this one, uh, Kylie, you can tell me if you want to change the name a bit, but I thought my name was a little, my idea for the name for this section was a little fun. Uh -huh. uh, Pester the Guest. I or, like that. Or, oh, let's go. You know. Pester the Guest. Er. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I'll, I'll go first to the first question here. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. What is your least favorite horror trope and why? Um, okay, so I wrote this question and it always takes me a minute. I think my least favorite horror trope is uh, really cheap jump scares because it, it may just be because I'm biased and it scares the crap out of me every time. I am a very, very jumpy person. Like if you, Joshua and I went to a couple haunted houses uh, in October and he would literally just like pull my arm and I would lose my mind. It would scare me so bad. So I would say I don't like cheap jump scares because it just, it feels like a, it feels like a really easy way to get a reaction out of your audience when there are a lot of other, like I, I, for example, the ending of Nightmare on Elm Street, it leaves you feeling uneasy and uncertain and it makes you think about it for days. But if you have scenes like, I don't know, Insidious or The Conjuring where they just have like a little at some point, that just like, it gets my heart racing and I don't like it. So that is my least favorite trope. I can understand. I have more of a love-hate relationship with that stuff. Because on one hand, I, I'm a little bit of, not like a major one, I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. So mm -hmm. when you get right. that uh, little jump scare, I'm just like, like I, you will always see like a smile on my face. Yeah. Well, a weird combination oh, of a smile and of like horror. Where I'm just like, ah! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Because like with the, I remember specifically with, it was either The Conjuring or The Nun, where mm -hmm. you see the painting, yeah, it's probably The Conjuring then, uh, you see the painting of The Nun, and then out of nowhere, the actual nun is standing right in front of the painting, and you, the character just doesn't quite realize it yet. I just like freak out, I'm like, oh, or um, what was it? You see a lot of that in the uh, Paranormal Activity movies, which was another mm -hmm. start for me for, for the horror film stuff. Oh my goodness, like that was just full of jump scares. Gosh, I... And it, you're right, it is kind of cheap. Like, it's a cheap way to 
formula formulatically, you know, appeal to the people looking for, for exactly what I described it, the adrenaline rush. Yeah. It's, it's like an editing choice where they're like, going to get you here, whether you like it or not. But I mean, I get it. I get, cause it, it works. It works on most people, but I just, I, I don't like it as a trope. I and that's probably because I react very strongly, whereas you react like a little bit more courageously than I do. But what's your least favorite horror trope? Mine would have to be probably we were talking about it in the previous episode a bit. The when you can't really see the monster or see mm-hmm. your the the thing you're facing. Yeah. That that one is a tough one to do. And sometimes you have your movies where the the thing you're facing is invisible, like a ghost or an invisible man or something like that. And I'll forgive those ones because like again, I was saying like paranormal activity, like I, I still actually like those movies as a kid. Um but you can't see your you can't see Toby. You never see Toby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there there's a little bit of mystery to it. Overall, when you actually have a monster that you've gone to the length of, you know, someone going into makeup and sitting through hours of that or even throwing tons of money at like a CGI thing. And then you either in an attempt to save money or for whatever reason, you hide the monster in the dark. Mm. There, there, there can be times where it's good. There are definitely a lot of, there are some classic movie examples with lighting where, you know, it creates more of this emotion. Um, but nowadays it seems like those tropes where the, your monster's hiding in the dark, they just kind of cheapen the effect. They cheapen what should be the centerpiece of your horror film, which is your monster, your thing you're, you're facing. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. I think there are, are some films, like you said, we talked about last episode, like Friday the 13th is a great example of a character that you don't really see toward the end, but the reveal is almost worth it, I would say. Mm -hmm. But I would say I'm kind of in the same boat as you there, where if you're hiding the the villain the whole whole time I have a hard time getting on board with that because I'd rather know what the characters are facing even if it's done in the way that Nightmare on Elm Street was done where it's like the lighting is done in a way where you can see him but you really can't make him out super clearly and he's just a very grotesque character to look at and you know what now I think about it a bit more I can't think of a specific example of this one Mm -hmm. thing I know I definitely don't like is when your monster is hiding in the shadows and they have tentacles or something, some type of tendril, and it just pops out of the shadows, just the tentacles, and drags whoever into the shadows. Like, that, to me, is the worst offense. I thought of, like, three movies and or shows that do that, and I don't know which is right, so I'm going to refrain myself from saying, but do you just have an octopus phobia? It's, like, tentacles was very specific. No, tentacles is more of an example. This is just the first thing that came to mind. Okay, so um, it could be arms. It could be, like, anything pulling a character in the shadows. Yeah. Okay. When, 
because um, yeah, no, I don't have an octopus phobia. That uh, no, um, but that sense of like again hiding your creature mm-hmm. in in the darkness instead only giving us uh, a small fraction of it just especially if we never end up really seeing the monster yeah even, even towards the end it just sort of it cheapens it it cheapens it a little bit that's okay. sometimes my criticisms like with the godzilla movies is that like you don't always get to uh, at least not like the some some of the more recent ones i guess mm-hmm. not not the it, it you know what i mean like and maybe Godzilla is the wrong example here, but when you have your big monster and you mm-hmm. only get to see a foot or you get to see their eyeball and you don't really get to see the entire monster in a single frame. Yeah. That, that to me just kind of like. It's that's, sort of, that's like your previous, like your initial trope point where you're like, I don't like when we can't see the monster. Exactly. That's why I kept referencing Jason. Cause like you see Jason or Mrs. Voorhees' legs throughout the original Friday 13th and you're like who is this or you just see the camera motioning as if they're them Mm -hmm. but I I agree with you I I would like to be able to see the villain more which is why my favorite is Scream which is another Wes Craven film because the villains are there the whole time they are spoiler alert they're a part of the general population, which is why I think that movie is so well done. Mm-hmm. And it's based on like, I don't think that one's based on a true story, but. Uh, and that was also one of the first, maybe not the first, we'll, we'll obviously we'll have to do more research whenever we touch on it, but certainly the one that gets attributed the most with point blatantly pointing out and taking this kind of meta approach to other horror films. Signing rules yeah. for movies, pointing it out. Um, it's definitely something that gave me a sort of crash course into, oh, this is what you probably expect in other horror movies. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, there's a whole character that his, like, character description is pointing out horror tropes as they're living in the horror movie. Which is, I think, was a really fun, like you said, meta way to approach it. Which I'm not normally one for meta, but I really enjoy that film what's your favorite horror film my favorite horror film of all time mm-hmm. hmm. Hmm. that's a tough one uh instinctively I, I do want to say this movie is one of my favorites okay i, don't... I like that nightmare on elm street number one but for the sake for the sake of intrigue let me pick a different one for you <laughs> um I'm gonna say probably oof. See now my mind's just trying to blank here. I'm gonna go with the first paranormal activity. Oh, okay. I've not you know, actually... that one I still it's another one where it's like I have fond memories of it. It's not necessarily the best done movie. And again, it has all those cheap jump scares. But I remember the concept really sticking with me a lot through throughout my younger years. Okay. Uh, was it just uh, 
waking up sometimes in cold sweats being like there's something hiding in the shadows it's invisible and it's watching me sleep Mm-mm. Mm-mm. i don't i've actually never seen paranormal paranormal activity and i probably won't unless we do it for this podcast because i do have a fear a healthy fear of things in the spiritual realm that are I don't want to mess with. I don't necessarily want to put it on my screen. Um, so well, I've kudos to you for watching it, but ugh. part of it too, that really stuck with me prominently. I remember it was the previous home I was living in. And I think it was because my room was right next to the, I want to say it was probably the heating unit. It was something, it was some unit stuck in a very small closet and my room was right next to it. And I swear there was, I try not to be a supernatural type of person or, you know, I try and take things more logically, but there are some things I just have such a hard time explaining. And there are some examples in my life uh, or rather in the lives of people I know that Mm -hmm. go through stuff that I just can't explain. And so I just remember distinct times of like being in this house and I swear it maybe was that heating unit next to, next to my room but mm-hmm. it sounded like I could hear footsteps going on <gasps> in the middle of the night and it kept me up. Or I swear, I think I've told you this once before. I felt like when I was trying to sleep, sometimes there was something tugging at my pillow. Yep. Yep. I do remember that. We've had that. And you know, <laughs> this could all be some, it could probably all be summed up in paranoia. But the fact is, is that every time I felt those, I always went back in my mind to the paranormal activity movies and so the fact is is that when those movies stay prominent in your mind it that to me defines like that those should be your favorites Mm. whether you have criticisms of of them or not to me again the the best horror movies are the ones that really stick with you and that keep you thinking about them and so that's why uh paranormal activity is probably one of my favorites yeah that's you're braver than me because I definitely not as logical as you. I do believe that there are goops and gokes that live in a different realm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we just lost about our one out of two listeners that we had because of that. But that's why like, I don't, I don't mess around with paranormal movies for that reason. <laughs> but that is impressive that you're able to do it and still sleep at night. Um, so I do want to ask though, are you a fight, flight, or freeze in a situation of confrontation? You know, I want to say I I genuinely want to be a fight. You know, I love the idea of being a hero. Mm. But and I still have an example. So I, I will always probably say I'm probably more of a, a flight person okay. only because I have a specific example from my childhood. I can always point to in order to humble myself. I remember we were, I was sitting in or not sitting. I was uh, at a boy scout camp and uh, one tradition we always like to do. Or one of the last few nights is we, me and the rest of my troop would sneak out in the middle of the night and we go play some pranks on the camp. We go like take streamers and, throw them up on the flagpole, you know, stuff like that. Your, your classic vandalism. Classic um, juvenile vandalism. Exactly. And 
I remember, so it was so dark, I could barely see anything. And I saw this shadow creeping up towards me and it kind of looked like a wolf. And I was with my friends. I was just standing there with my friends and I see this shadowy figure approach us. And immediately without saying anything, whatever, I just turned around and started power walking a bit. And then like maybe 30 feet out, I looked back and I see no one else is moving. And I'm like, what the heck? And everyone's kind of just standing there. I'm like, get the sense. Like, okay. I think everyone's staring at me. I walk back. I realized, oh, it was my friend Norm. <laughs> just Norm who there. gave a hilarious toast at your wedding. Yes. Just give a, a shout out to Norm there. <laughs> yeah. So I will always kind of, as much as I want to be the fight guy, I will probably always point back at that moment in my life and humble myself and be like, no, Nick, you're probably more of a flight. Hmm. As much as you do, as much as you don't want to be, you probably are. I think for me, I would say I land somewhere between a fight and a freeze for the most part. Because as a kid, like I definitely was the one that would, uh, like if someone was accusing me of something that I didn't do, I would call them out for it. Like one time, some kid in middle school called me the B word when we were playing basketball on the court. Now, I like definitely called him out for that. I was like, are you serious? Does your vocabulary not allow you to have anything better to say? That's the best that you can come up with. And like very similarly, when I got a referral in first grade, <laughs> um, it was all because a girl, uh, tried to get me to play with her when I was playing with somebody else. And I told her, I was like, I don't want to play with you right now. I'm playing with this other girl. And then she accused me of cussing her out, uh, with cuss words. I didn't even know at the time. So, um, probably black. I would say in my Your alter ego probably took over and cussed her out and you just didn't realize it. Probably, probably, <laughs> but I would say in my close intimate relationships with people that I really care about, I will occasionally freeze because I don't want to hurt them and I don't know how to approach the situation. So that's where I would say I fall on that spectrum. Okay. So what is something that you watched recently and that you love? Doesn't have to be a horror movie. Anything that you watched recently and you loved it. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? You go first. Um, well, I recently finished the Wednesday series. I honestly was very, very hesitant to watch it because I am a fan of the black and white television show, as well as the movies with Christina Ricci in them. And I will say it definitely blew me away. It was so worth watching. Um, you could really see Tim Burton's directorial, uh, preferences really shine in those first few episodes and Joshua and I flew through that show we watched it so fast and actually um my very first job in the entertainment industry that I had was in the talent management and casting field and one of the clients that the talent manager I worked for was one of the main cast members uh, at the time, I don't know if they're still repped by them, so I'm not going to say anything about who it was, but I do remember seeing that person's face and being like, oh, I remember them like four years ago when they were just starting out. So that was, that was really cool from a nostalgic and personal point of view for me. Um, but what about you? What have you been watching? 
Well, so it's officially after Thanksgiving. So most of my content or most of my, uh, not content, I always hear nowadays, content is a horrible Influencer. term. <laughs> uh, most of what I consume entertainment-wise is basically Christmas stuff. Okay. Christmas stuff nonstop. Nice. I make it a point to almost do nonstop Christmas stuff. I'll take a couple breaks, but it's it's like an endurance run for me. Mm-hmm. How much Christmas stuff can I take in between Thanksgiving and the actual Christmas Day? So um, one of the things, it's it's a rewatch for me. I have I fell in love with it a few years ago when it first came out on Netflix, and I find myself always wanting to go back to it since it's called El Camino Christmas. And okay, I've not seen it. What's it about? So it's a movie about a man who never knew his father, and he goes. His mother recently passes away, and he goes in in search of his estranged father, and he ends up in this white trash town. Uh, so very small where, you know, population of, you know, just make up a small number here, 200. <laughs> it, it feels more like 20. But okay. Feels like 20. Could be 200. Could be 2000. Who knows? Anyway, uh, he goes in search of his father and ends up being accused under false pre- pretenses of uh, ownership of marijuana and I know yes. and all the cops in the movie are not the smartest bunch and they see uh, a bottle of Drano in the back of his car and they think oh he's bringing drugs into our town he's bringing he's got the Drano he's probably making meth let's <laughs> let's arrest him and yeah they some of them do have some bad accents that, but, was, uh, that was a pretty good accent. I will I will give you that. Good, bad. No, I'm saying the, the actors have some oh, pretty okay. bad accents. But the point is, is it, it all kind of goes sideways from there as uh, this guy tries to clear his name. I won't say exactly what happened, obviously. I don't want to spoil it. But one of the things I do love about the movie is what, one thing I will always appreciate in a Christmas movie is when it decides to go the more emotional route and mm. talk about uh, like, I am I'm, I'm a little bit of a sucker. I'll say I'm a little bit of a sucker for, for drama stuff. So when a Christmas movie decides to be dramatic, decides to, instead of focus on your campiest stuff of, Oh, here's Santa and the North pole, but instead talks about, Oh, Christmas is such a hard time for me because so-and-so, you know, passed around this time of year and I got to, you know, find a way to get over that. I'm a bit of a sucker for that type of stuff. So that's what, that's the type of vibes this movie kind of gave off. And, uh, was it Tim Allen is in it. He's probably one of my favorite actors, not my favorite, but you know, he, he, he decides to put himself in some different things that make, that makes him of intrigue to me kind of like a sort of like a Nicolas Cage effect uh, of sorts. That just reminded me of the episode of Community where they're trying to decide if Nicolas Cage is a good actor. And that I don't. We can debate on that another day. I just. (laughs) I don't know about that. I know for a fact the man just, you know, will take any project on. So, you know, pretty impressive. 
whatever your opinion is of that, take <laughs> it or leave it. But um, yeah, I would say so that's something that I watched recently and that I loved. The El Camino Christmas. All right. I like that. Um, so I know because you can't necessarily say in detail what you're what you do for a living, but do you want to give like three words to describe what you do for a living? Uh, I am a software engineer and one thing I was been working on recently was, you know what? I had to really face my fear of public speaking this week, which was very tough. I don't have a big fear. Like I will definitely go and give a presentation if I have to, Mm -hmm. but I will have to rehearse it over and over again, just so that way, because I know every time I go up and talk, if it's not a crowd of people that I'm comfortable talking with, I will, for a fact, feel some type of nerves that will debilitate me from being able to talk about whatever is up on that PowerPoint slide. Mm-hmm. So something I was really working on this week was just practicing this presentation over and over again to our customers oh. of what are, what it is I'm actually working on that I probably should not talk about. <laughs> And that is the only amount of detail that you have to go into. But I'm really proud that you got over your fear of public speaking. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't call it fear or no, no, I'm sorry. I wouldn't call it conquering more than just like, you know, I survived this time. You survived. There You're was definitely a moment. You, you would love this. There was a moment where I, I'm always very critical of myself and how I give presentations. Mm-hmm. So anytime anyone gives me a compliment. I'm like, you're lying through your teeth. Don't you dare tell me <laughs> that I did a good job because I'll count my, my head. The number of times I say, uh, or, um, really you, know. you can keep track. Not like, no, not like a specific number. If I had to guess, I probably did maybe about five of them in my okay. 10 minute presentation that I did. That's not so bad. What really you. got me was that there was one where I went, uh, for like a solid five seconds. I was like, Nick, you, in my mind, I'm like, Nick, you, you practiced this for so long. And what really got me was that, and none of my coworkers said that they, they witnessed this, but I know what I, what I felt. Uh-huh. My right leg started to twitch at the beginning of my presentation. And I had to like, really like grind my teeth and just be like, Nick, stop it <laughs> right now. What are you doing? You practice this. You can do it. I used to have, uh, my leg used to tremor whenever I'd have to do a monologue or a musical piece in school. Um, and it would drive me crazy because I would think everybody else could see it, but no one else could except for me. And I could feel it. It made me feel like my whole body was vibrating, but a really good book I read recently called psycho cybernetics talked about how you have to change the perception in your mind, uh, the perspective of You're going to have adrenaline no matter what, but it's up to you to interpret it as nerves or excitement because the excitement is going to power you through to do crazy things like lift a car off of a woman who's dying or something crazy instead of uh, letting it take you down and letting it damage you. Um, Actually, uh, our mutual, somewhat mutual friend, Sam Snyder, lent me that book and It was amazing to say the least. So next time you're in a situation where you feel the leg tremors or the nerves, remind yourself that it's actually excitement. It is not nerves. 
because you can change that. Okay. Thank you for that motivational talk. You're welcome. And I'll remember that though. That's, that's an interesting point. I'm, I'm always a big believer of matters of perspective. So I, I can see what you're talking. Okay. I got you. That's what I'm here for. Um, well, I will wrap this part up. Uh, I work in film and TV. My background, I started as an actor. I transitioned into talent management and then into casting a little bit and background casting after that. Um, I started my own business and I'm on the track of producing because that is my primary interest, producing, especially with uh, short form content, especially in the kids entertainment arena. arena. So who knows exactly what's going to happen next, but that's the track I'm on. And because Nick and I were debating about this earlier, the last question we will ask for the day will be, uh, do you wear shoes in your house? Hmm. Well, I'm always one to think that there are exceptions to the rule, but in general, no, you do not wear shoes in your house because you, your shoes are for outside. You're wearing your shoes outside regardless. <laughs> and that means things are stuck to the bottom of your shoes, whether it be something obvious like gum or, you know, dirt. I don't want that track to my house. You That's take fair. your shoes off. If you're a guest in my house, I won't tell you to do because I want to be polite. But oh. if you live in my house, I'm like, no. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I also would like to believe I'm that strict, but I'm definitely not. Um, I have a place where I take my shoes off when I first come in. But because I knew we were doing this tonight, for whatever reason, I kept my shoes on to be like, I'm in work mode. I'm not quite in relaxed mode yet. So I would say for the most part, I I have a similar standard, but because we live in a multi-story house, some shoes are on different floors. And sometimes like it's easier to put shoes on one floor and then walk up or downstairs And also we have dogs and dogs are dirty no matter what. So there's only like a certain amount of clean that I can pretty much always be. Um, So that's where I try to like level it out. (laughs) So here's my compromise to it. Okay. Something I reason with Kaya will not get on board with me, which is why I can't do it yet. But I've explained to her that if you want to wear something on your feet in your house a good compromise is having a pair of house slippers i actually joshua got me a pair for christmas um i will say zero has eaten the last two pairs i've had Mm -hmm. but zero is my dog just to clarify not a child she is a dog but yes she has eaten my last two pairs that I've had. She never eats anything. I don't know why my slippers have been the target of her tormenting for the past year, but we'll see how long these last. I'll keep you updated. Probably don't last long. Probably won't. Um, I wasn't. I used to have a pair of house slippers and then I got married and Kaya said, no, Nick, this is another example of you being acting like an old man. None of that. Well, Joshua wants to get a nightgown, so <laughs> like a nightshirt. You know, 
there are some things that that elderly people do, or at least tropes that we assign to the elderly, that I think just make perfect sense. You know, slippers in a nightgown. There's something comfy about having your slippers on in in the house. But but he wants like a shirt like New Girl has in Jet. Like like Jet Nick has in the show New Girl. Have you seen the episode of him with like his night shirt? That's what he wants. No, I have not. Oh boy. <laughs> I, I will if I can include a picture in this episode, I will. Um, if I do, it'll come up right here. And if not, then I didn't figure it out. Hey everyone, thanks for watching this episode of Survive This Crit. Stay tuned for more episodes upcoming on Nightmare on Elm Street. And don't forget to smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs>